0: I was reading an article about Alaska Airlines last year. They were getting ready to leave Washington to head to San Francisco and the the airplane was out on the tarmac and it was sitting there, it wasn't moving. So finally they ended up going back to the gate and the reason why is because the two pilots in the cockpit could not agree with one another they had a conflict. We don't know specifically. The article didn't tell us what the conflict was over, but they had a disagreement. It was a professional disagreement. They couldn't resolve it, and so they had to go back to the airport, and they had to get another pilot to come on the plane in order for them to take off and head to where they wanted to head. Conflict, that's something that we all deal with. It is an inevitable part of life. We deal with it In our homes, with our children. We deal with it at the government level. I think we all know about that. The media. We deal with it in uh, our jobs. We deal with it even on an international level. Conflict happens, especially today, in marriages. There's a lot of conflict that is leading to divorce today. In fact, I was reading a story about a wife who was making breakfast of fried eggs for her husband. Suddenly, her husband burst into the kitchen and he said to his wife, careful, careful, put in some more butter. Oh my gosh, you're cooking too many at once. Too many, turn them, turn them now. We need more butter. Oh my gosh, where are we going to get more butter? They're going to stick. Careful, careful. You never listen to me when you're cooking. Never, turn them, turn them right now. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Don't forget to salt the eggs, he told his wife. You know, you always forget to salt them. Use the salt. The wife stared at him. What in the world, she said, is wrong with you? You think I don't know how to fry a couple of eggs? The husband calmly replied, I just wanted to show you what it feels like when I'm driving. (laughs) What are some facts about conflict? Let me give you some basic facts. Conflict is inevitable. We live in a fallen world of fallen people. There's going to be conflict. Secondly, conflict can be either beneficial or destructive. Our response determines whether or not it's beneficial or destructive. Thirdly, conflict resolution is not always possible. It says in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You may try to resolve a conflict, and if that person doesn't want to resolve it, there's nothing you can do. Number four, some avoid conflict at all costs. On the other hand, there are those who thrive on conflict. Donald Trump is a guy that I think loves conflict. On the other hand, there is those who retreat. It's either fight or flight. Number five, not all conflict is sin. We can have honest disagreements. You could see a certain perspective. I can see a certain perspective. It's not necessarily a sin. And then finally, conflict can be draining and it can also be very painful if not addressed. And so, how can we resolve conflict biblically? Well, I invite you to turn to James chapter 3. We're continuing in our study in the book of James, verse by verse, and we're looking at verse 13 all the way to chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now, you would assume that when you go from chapter 3 to chapter 4, there is a change in the subject, a change in the topic, but that's not always the case. You realize that chapters and verses were not added until the 13th or 14th century, and so those are not in the original. So my point is, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, all the way into chapter 4, you have one unit of thought. And James is dealing with the subject of conflict. Yes, conflict in the church. I could have entitled this message When the Potluck Dinner Went Bad. Well, that's what James was dealing with. James was writing to a group of Jewish Christians. Many of them were scattered, probably because of the martyrdom of Stephen, mentioned in Acts chapter 8. And many of them were destitute, they were poor, and they were dealing with oppression. And that was creating a lot of conflict within the fellowship to whom he was writing to. There was a lot of backbiting. There was a lot of rancor. That's why in chapter 1, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. In chapter 3, he deals with 12 verses on the tongue because that's what they were allowing to run was their mouth. There was judging going on, there was a critical spirit, there was not e-harmony, as we would say, among the church to whom he was writing to, and so James has to basically address this subject of conflict. And as I said, conflict is an inevitable part of life. We're all going to deal with it. Some of you may be embroiled in a conflict right now in your life. Maybe you're dealing with your children and you're struggling with them, but I want you to notice Chapter 4, verse 1, James asks a question. What is the source of wars and fights among you? In other words, James asks this question, what causes wars and battles and what causes personal skirmishes among you? Now, the reason why he asks that question and James likes to ask questions is because James wants to get them to think. He wants them to address the sinful conflict that was going on in their midst. And so he asked this question What is the source of fights and quarrels among you? And what he's going to do here in this section of scripture, he's going to give us five ways by which you and I can resolve conflict and rancor within our life. And again, not all conflict is solvable in this life. However, God wants us to employ the principles of Scripture in order to help us resolve conflict. Now, James is not giving us an exhaustive list of how to deal with conflict. Sometimes you have to deal with conflict on a case-by-case basis, but what he's doing he's giving us foundational principles. Now, next week, when we can conclude this message, I will give you some other principles, biblically, in addition to what James gives, in order to help you and I deal with conflict in our life. The first principle that he gives our strategy to deal with conflict is we must walk in the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit or produce the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Bible says when you and I walk in the Spirit, we are going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that important? Because listen, when you and I are the right person, when we are manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, that's going to help prevent conflict And it's going to help us resolve conflict. So to say it another way, if you want to deal with conflict, you need to be the right person. You need to be the right person. None of us are perfect, but if we're manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, which represents Jesus Christ, then we're going to be able to better resolve conflict, whatever we're dealing with in our life. Notice what he says in verse 13 of chapter 3. He says this, Who is wise and has understanding among you? Now again, he asks another question because the Jewish people thought that they were wise. And remember what I said two weeks ago, wisdom to the Jew is not theoretical wisdom, it's not knowledge. Wisdom was being skilled at godly living. Wisdom is seen in not what I say, it's how I live. And so James says to these Jewish people who thought that they were wise, he says, how many of you are wise in understanding? Notice what he says. He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. In other words, James says, if you think you're wise, demonstrate it by your good conduct and by gentleness. Now, there are two fruits of the Spirit right there that you and I need to manifest if we are going to resolve conflict. The first one is good conduct. What is good conduct? It's a broad term. It simply means to conform your life to the Word of God. And so because the context is dealing with arguing and fighting, good conduct would be this. Forgive others. Don't harbor bitterness. Don't throw a temper tantrum. Don't throw things at somebody that you're angry at. Don't hurl epithets at them. Listen to them. See, these are all qualities that help us resolve conflict. That's good conduct as it relates to dealing with conduct. But then he also mentions the word word, gentleness. Gentleness is a hard word to translate from the Greek into the English. There's a number of terms that It can refer to, here is what gentleness probably means. It means you are not vengeful. You are forgiving. You are humble. You are meek. You are gracious. You are patient when you are wronged. You see, if I'm a gentle person and I'm winsome, that's going to help diffuse conflict. It's going to help me resolve conflict. Now, does it help in every situation? Is it going to eliminate all conflict? No. But when I'm a person of good conduct and I'm a person of gentleness, that's going to go a long way in resolving conflict. You know, when you preach through the Bible, one of the benefits is it has a sanctifying effect. And when I was in Miami this past week, my brother and I met there to help my mom. She's a widow and she needed help with her house. And so when I was there, one of the things that I enjoy getting is Cuban food. I love Cuban food. I get a colada. colada is their coffee. It looks like brake fluid. It's very, very thick, and I drink a whole thing of it, and I get croquettes and several other things. And so on this picture, I went up to that restaurant. You'll notice they have a window that's cut out, and that's where I got the coffee and the croquettes. And as I'm standing there waiting, there's a line behind me. All of a sudden, this guy walks up next to me, And I felt like he wanted to get ahead of me and present his order rather than waiting. And so immediately my flesh rose up. And I thought to myself, if he gives his order, I'm going to snap at him like a junkyard dog. And I'm going to tell him that he needs to get back in the line. And immediately I said, no, that's the flesh. I am not going to do that because gentleness means that you are patient when you are what? Wronged. He didn't do that. He did come up beside me. He didn't place his order. And so I thought immediately of this text as I was going through it, Mike, how are you going to respond? You see, if I would have responded in the flesh, it probably would have generated conflict. And listen, in our day and time, you don't want to snap at people because you don't know what people are going to do. And so listen, when you and I manifest the fruit of the Spirit, of gentleness, of good conduct, that's going to help in resolving our conflict. Well, James gives us some other fruits of the Spirit in verses 17 and 18. Notice what he says here in verse 17, but the wisdom from above. Now, James here is going to contrast heavenly wisdom with earthly wisdom, and here is the wisdom that comes from God. And again, these characteristics that he gives all relate to relationships because that's what he's dealing with in this text. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure. In other words, purity comes from God. And so if I'm walking in purity, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, I'm going to be walking in God's wisdom. You say, well, how does purity affect relationships? Watch this. If I'm walking in purity and holiness, I'm going to want to resolve conflict. If I'm walking with God and I want to be holy before Him, not perfect. If I'm having an issue in my marriage, I want to resolve it as much as possible. If I'm having a problem with a coworker, I want to resolve it. You see, a pure person doesn't harbor bitterness. They don't harbor anger. Now, you may get angry. You may say things you shouldn't. We're all guilty of that. But you know what? You get it right. Man, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize for my attitude. See, that's purity. Then he says they are peace-loving. That means to be a peacemaker. Would you say as a general rule you are a peacemaker or are you a war maker? Do you have a bellicose personality that's warlike? You're always in conflict with other people? Some people thrive on conflict. Or are you a peacemaker? Again, I can give you many illustrations, and I will in the future, of many times where I have failed. I have blown it in conflict. But I remember years ago, probably 25 years ago, I was in the Orange Bowl when the Orange Bowl was still standing in Miami. For those of you who don't know, I grew up in South Florida. And so I was attending either a Hurricanes game or a Miami Dolphins game. And I remember I went to the concession stand and I was waiting in line to get some food. And this guy behind me started arguing with another guy. And he said, look, I was behind him He said, no, I was here first, and they're arguing about to get in a fist fight. They had a beer in their hand. And so I heard this, and I turned around, and I said this to them. I said, how about both of you get in front of me? It diffused the argument. They looked at me shocked, and they got in front of me, and it ended the argument. And I said, Lord, thank you for allowing me to do that. That was all of God. Now, there's times where I have failed, But see, be a peacemaker. It says here that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Then notice what he says here, gentle. Again, going back to gentleness that he mentioned earlier, it means you are gracious, you are forgiving, you have a non-retaliatory spirit. And then he mentions the word compliant or the word submissive. What does that mean? It means someone who's reasonable, open to change, flexible, teachable, not stubborn, Not my way or the highway, not always argumentative, ouch. See, if we manifested that type of fruit of the Spirit in our marriage, in our family, with our relatives, or how about in the church, what kind of harmony would it produce? Then he says, full of mercy. A person who's full of mercy is a person who withholds punishment, Now, I get it. Sometimes you have to show justice, and there's always that wisdom of, Lord, with my children, there's a time to show justice, and there's a time to show mercy. And there's always that balance. But mercy means what? You withhold punishment. You don't give the person what they deserve. You are merciful to them. You make allowances for a person's weaknesses. And then he says good fruits. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's Galatians chapter 5. Good fruits. He says also without favoritism. That means you treat people equally. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have favorites in terms of you're going to like people maybe better than someone else. In other words, you're going to connect with some people better than others. That's not a bad thing, but favoritism is when you treat other people in a wrong way because you don't like them. Then he says here, and without hypocrisy, not being two-faced. How many of us have ever said something to someone's face, we're nice to them, and then 10 minutes later, we're talking behind their back? He says, not two-faced. And then he says this, And the fruit, verse 18, of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. In other words, one of the fruits of righteousness is that you and I sow seeds of peace. And when we sow seeds of peace, you know what it does? It produces a harvest of righteousness. In other words, be a peacemaker. And so these are all fruits of the Spirit that James mentions that if you and I will cultivate in our life, it will help reduce conflict in our relationships. Notice, if you will, verse 6 of chapter 4, he gives another fruit of the Spirit that you and I need to cultivate in our relationships. He says this, But he, that is God, gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud But gives grace to the humble. Humility is another characteristic that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. When you and I cultivate humility in relationships, you know what that means? It's going to help produce harmony in relationships. Now, humility doesn't mean that I self denigrate all the time. Oh, it's always my fault. And oh, I'm worthless. And oh, you flagellate yourself all the time verbally. No, that's not what humility is, that's false humility but a genuine humility. And you know what that means? It means admitting when you are wrong. How many of us have gotten in an argument with our spouse, and we knew we were wrong, and we kept arguing with our spouse? I've been there before. I've gotten into fights with Laura, and I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. By the way, my wife and I don't argue. We just have intense fellowship. That's how I define it. How many people in the church lack humility? They get offended and rather than go to the person and correct the problem and being willing to admit that maybe they were the ones that blew it, they storm out of a church and they leave church and what do they do? They church hop. Listen, the church in America is glutted with these types of Christians who they leave churches with unresolved conflict. They're the problem and they don't want to admit that they're the problem. They're not willing to say they're sorry. They're not willing to admit they're wrong. Why? Because of pride. And so let me give a summary of the fruits of the Spirit that James mentions. There's many more, but here is what he basically says. Good conduct. He says gentleness. He says purity. Be a peace-loving person. Be compliant or submissive. Merciful. Produce good fruit. No favoritism. No hypocrisy. And cultivate humility among the fruits of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. Now, if you and I will cultivate these fruits of the Spirit, it will not eliminate conflict completely, but let me tell you what it will do. It will reduce it, and it will help resolve it. Now, does this mean that you'll never have a conflict? Does this mean that you're always the problem? Not necessarily. And sometimes you can agree to disagree. As I said at the beginning... When I talked about principles of conflict, not all conflict is sinful. Sometimes we have honest disagreements, theologically, relationally. Maybe sometimes you and your spouse disagree over how to discipline your children. Or maybe it's an issue of finances. Whatever it is, you and I can have honest disagreements. But when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to help with conflict. And so, What I said at the beginning is true. If you want to deal with conflict, you got to be the right person. Now, the struggle is we all are not perfect. We're all fallen. And even though we have the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit, we're not always going to do that. We get in the flesh. But listen, this is why it's imperative that we are Spirit-filled Christians. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Be being kept filled with the Spirit. It's a command in the Greek. In other words, we're to be continually controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're to be led of the Spirit. And you're not going to be filled with the Spirit. You're not going to be led of the Spirit if you're not meditating on the Word of God on a regular basis, if you're not praying and you're not seeking the Lord, and you're not walking in submission, submission to the Lord. You want to know why a lot of churches split today? Sometimes it's honest differences theologically. There's a lot of carnality in the American church. And there's a lot of Christians that fight over stupid things. And this is why you have a lot of church splits, because they are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I watched the series recently with my wife, Hatfields and McCoys. I don't know if you ever saw this series, but this is a feud that went on for years and years and years. And there's different debates as to what caused it, but some people believe that the Hatfields had killed another McCoy in the Civil War, and that generated it. And then they began to fight over two Razorback Pigs. The Hatfields said, no, these are our pigs. The McCoys said, no, it's not. So they took them to court. The Hatfields ended up winning. And then, of course, one of the Hatfields' uh, son ended up marrying into the McCoy family a daughter, and that even exacerbated the conflict. And it went on and on and on. Many died. But you know, what struck me when I watched this series is how much religious talk both sides used. They talked about the Bible. They talked about God's going to judge you and send you to hell for what you're doing. And they talked in that southern voice. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, you're pronouncing judgment when you're not dealing with the issues in your own heart. See, it was all carnality, it was all worldly wisdom, it was flesh. There's a second strategy that James gives us if you and I are going to deal with conflict, and that is this. Identify sinful roots that are causing the conflict. Identify sinful roots that are causing the conflict. Now, in the first point... You want to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's the positive. You want to manifest those fruits. In the second point, and this is very important, we all have sinful roots in our heart that we have to deal with on a regular basis because these sinful roots are what cause conflict in our life. James gives some of them. Notice, if you will, chapter 3 of James, verses 14 through 16. This is worldly wisdom. What James gave earlier was heavenly wisdom. This is now worldly wisdom. Notice verse 14. But if you have bitter envy, there's a sinful root right there. If you allow bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, as he says, it's going to create conflict. Notice it originates in the heart. In our fallenness. In our flesh, now he mentions the word envy, jealousy. They're kind of twin sisters. Envy, I like to say, is wanting what someone else has. Jealousy is protecting what is already mine. And so they're twin sisters. Anytime you have envy in a relationship, you envy another person's wealth, another person's looks, another person's position, another person's power. When you have envy and then you have jealousy and that's going on and you leave it unchecked in your heart, here's what will happen it will inevitably generate conflict. And then notice he says selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition, but this is selfish ambition. This is ambition that basically wants what it wants. You're in it for yourself, and you're willing to step on others in order to get it. You see, these two things are sinful roots that if left unchecked in the human heart, they will cause conflict in a relationship. And notice what James says in verse 14. He says, if these two things are there, he says, don't brag and deny the truth. In other words, don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. Sometimes I've counseled couples and the husband will brag about, well, I'm this way. And Listen, that's not something to be proud of. Or this is a big one, deny that it's there. I'm not that way. I'm not that way. That's the bigger one is self-denial. I'm not that way. Now, sometimes you may disagree with somebody and you may say, well, I don't see it that way. But listen, here's a good principle. If somebody calls you a donkey, ignore it. If a second person calls you a donkey, ignore it. If a third person calls you a donkey, check for a tail. If you got three people telling you you're a stubborn jerk, you probably are. And so James says, don't brag about it or deny the truth. And then he says in verse 15, very strong, such wisdom does not come from above. The Jews thought that they were wise. He says, listen... This kind of wisdom of bitter envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, that doesn't come from the Father. He says it's earthly, it's of the world. That's how the world operates. All you got to do is look at Washington. You'll see envy and selfish ambition and bitterness and conflict there. He says it's unspiritual, it comes from the flesh, and he says it's demonic. And then he lowers the boom in verse 16. <coughs> <coughs> For where envy and selfish ambition exists, when it thrives in relationships, here's what you're going to see. And we see this played out in Washington. We see it played out in a lot of homes today. We see it played out in the media. There is disorder and every kind of evil. You know what the word disorder means in the Greek? It means confusion and instability. Why is there a lot of confusion in homes today? Why is there instability in the nation Why is there confusion in churches and instability? It is because these sinful attitudes go unchecked. Now listen, we're all going to have to battle them. There is a battle going on, Galatians 5, between the flesh and the spirit. And listen, if you're not walking in the Spirit and I'm not walking in the Spirit, the fruits of the flesh will rule our life. And so you get disorder. You get every kind of evil. And by the way, it's not limited to instability. It's not limited to confusion. You have rioting. You have divorce. You have murder. You have theft. You have gossip, racism, slander, name-calling, political revolution, slavery. All of these create conflict. John Corson, who is a pastor at Calvary Chapel in Oregon, said this about this text, and I quote, I have this verse underlined because it's a grid through which I run any conversation, any teaching, or any word of instruction. He says, if there is envy, strife, tension, and confusion in what I hear, then I know it's from hell. But if there is purity, peace, righteousness, mercy in what I hear, I embrace it as being from the Lord, End quote. He's right. These are sinful roots that we have to weed out. He gives us a couple more. Notice, if you will, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. He says this, what is the source of wars and fights among you? He asks that question, what causes fights in marriages? What causes wars among nations? He says, don't they come from the cravings or the selfish desires that are at war within you? There's another sinful root, selfishness. How many of us battle selfishness? We all do. you got to work hard in your marriage because, listen, we all tend to want to please self. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having natural desires, There's certain things that we all desire, and I would say to Jennifer, what she desires is not selfish desire, wanting the kids and the grandkids. That's a good desire. But we all know what selfishness is, and James says, look, when you crave something, you want something, and you don't get it, notice what he says happens. He says, you desire, verse 2, but you don't have, and when someone blocks what you want, you murder and covet, and you can't obtain. And he says, you fight and you war. So in other words, if I'm selfish and I want something and you block what I want, we're going to get into conflict. So here's a husband who says to his wife, you know, I was out today and I saw this boat, and man, I really got to get this boat. And the wife says, well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with the boat. But sweetheart, we cannot afford that boat. It's not in the budget. We're barely making ends meet. He says, I don't care. I want the boat. She says, well, we can't afford it. And before long, they are fighting with one another. Why? Because the man wants the boat, and she says, we can't afford it. It's going to put us into unhealthy debt. And we could use many illustrations, but listen, think about the conflicts in your marriage, in the church. A lot of times it comes back to self-centeredness. I want what I want, and if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to get angry if you block it. We get upset. How many of you have heard of Selena? Selena was a Hispanic singer, a beautiful gal. The lady next to her was her manager. Maybe you read about this years ago. Selena was rising. I didn't follow her music although I liked one of her songs, but she was rising and her manager was jealous of her because she's in prison now. And she admitted, she said, the reason why I murdered her, she shot her in the back of the head at a hotel where she said, I was jealous of her looks and I was jealous of her money and her fame. This is her manager. And now she's in jail and she said she grieves and she regrets what she did. And she has the rest of her life to think about it. Why? Because she was selfish. Someone blocked that and she ended up, literally, James says, murder. And by the way, we may not murder others physically, but you know what we can do? We can murder them with our tongue. We can gossip and slander and backbite behind their back. And James says, it's all selfishness. Why do you think Vladimir Putin is doing what he's doing? His ego wants that territory of the Ukraine because he feels like it's part of Russia. It's his. He wants it. How many people have died and suffered because of his ego, because of his selfishness? And listen, you block him, what is he going to do? He's going to get what he's going to get. Well, a couple more as we wind down. He gives a couple more root sins here. Notice, if you will, verse 6. He says, but he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the what? The proud but gives grace to the humble. There's another root sin, is pride. Pride says, I'm not wrong. I won't admit that I'm wrong. I'll keep arguing with you. And then, of course, in verse 11 and 12, he gives a couple more root sins that we need to deal with. In verse 11, don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother... Or judges his brother, criticizes the law, and judges the law. And so here was the root sin. They were criticizing and judging one another. How much of that goes on in the church today where people are constantly picking? They're criticizing. They're always negative. They're judging other people. Notice what he says about it. We'll get into depth with it next week. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, verse 12, and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Notice their words. Their words of judging, criticizing. How many conflicts do we have because of our words? Man, I can't tell you how many times I've blown it with my children. I said something I shouldn't have said, or with my wife, and I blew it. Our words get us into trouble. Oftentimes, that's what generates conflict. I'm reminded of the guy who ended up buying a cemetery plot for his mother-in-law on one Christmas. And so the following Christmas, uh, he didn't buy her any gift, and she took offense, and she said to him, "Uh, why didn't you get me a gift this year? He said, because you didn't use the gift that I bought you last year. That's when the fight started. (laughs) So let me summarize the sinful attitudes as we close. Here are some of the sinful attitudes or roots or behavior that we need to deal with. Envy, jealousy, James says. Selfish ambition, selfishness, pride, judging. And let me add a few more because these are common ones. Hatred, greed, anger. There are people that have anger issues, and this is why it spills over. Fear, insecurity, indifference, impatience, unforgiveness, hurt. They harbor these sinful roots in their life. And listen, if you want to deal with the fruit, you got to deal with the root. See that plant up there? I remember years ago I was working on a church property, and I was mowing the lawn. And I noticed this particular plant, and it was a weed. And so I decided to get it and pull it up. When I pulled it up, I could not believe how long the root system went. I kept pulling and pulling, and it kept going and going, and I thought to myself, man, I've never seen a root system. If you're going to deal with the problems in your life, the fruit, if you don't like the fruit that's being manifested, you got to address the root problem and ask yourself, am I the problem? Maybe it's my selfishness. Maybe it's my self-centeredness. Maybe, it, maybe I'm argumentative. Maybe I have issues. You say, well, Mike, where do these sinful roots come from? They come from genetics, they come from your upbringing, and they come from the flesh. And so i got to identify them in my life. Next week we'll look at how to deal with them. But i got to identify them, and i got to deal with them. But here's the first step. you got to admit and say, hey, maybe I am the problem. So let me summarize what we learned this morning. Two things so far among the five strategies to deal with conflict. Number one, you got to produce the fruit of the Spirit. When you produce the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to help you resolve conflict. Will it guarantee that conflict will be resolved? No. But it will help resolve it, and it will minimize it, and it may prevent it. And then secondly, you got to identify sinful roots in your heart, and you've got to root them out. Now, I was having a problem with my phone this week when I was in Miami. So I called Apple, and the lady said, I'm going to do a test. So she set things up, and she said, all right. And I set my phone, and I hit the button, and it did a diagnostic text on my phone. And she said, all right, you have a problem with your phone. She said, you need to go to an Apple store, and you need to correct the problem. I said, okay. This morning, I want you to do a self-diagnostic test. Is there someone you need to forgive this morning that you have unresolved conflict with? You say, but they won't listen to me. Listen, it has nothing to do with whether they respond the way you want them to respond. Are you dealing with it? If you're the problem, have you gone to them and said, hey, I'm sorry? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone in the church that you need to get it right with? Jesus said, before you bring your offering, if you have something against your brother, go to them. And then he says, make your offering to God. God wants us to do self-inventory and ask ourselves, am I the root of the problem? You know, sometimes couples in marriages, they live together physically, but they're emotionally divorced. You know why? They're not addressing issues in the marriage. Every marriage is going to have struggles, but you know what? You got to communicate. We'll get into this next week on communication. You got to address issues. And listen, I have a friend He was divorced, and he said, Mike, we never fought one time in our 20 years of marriage, and he said that was the problem. We just ignored issues. We didn't address what was beneath the surface, and sometimes that's painful. And so I want to encourage you this morning, resolve conflict. Come back next week. We'll look at the final three points. Father, thank you for your word to us. God, help us to be people that resolve conflict. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it takes multiple discussions. And in the end, we can agree to disagree on some things. But I pray, Father, that we would learn to resolve conflict. And God, forgive us in the American church. There's so much disharmony in the church today, partly because there is unresolved conflict that takes place. I pray that if anyone is sitting here this morning that they would resolve the conflict in their heart and they would address issues. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you, in Jesus' name.